Welcome to Living Word Church. Let's hear from Pastor Ben as he teaches from the Gospel of John in our Eternal Word series. Verses uh, this, this morning, I've titled the message, The True Vine and the Abiding Life. The True Vine and the Abiding Life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so far for amazing opportunity we've had to, to gather and to worship together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to petition you at the throne of grace together as brothers and sisters. And Lord, we, we don't count it lightly. We don't take it lightly. We count it as a privilege. And we also count it as a privilege to open your word. Lord, we know that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so we submit to your word today. We don't we don't stand beside the word or we don't stand over the word, but Lord, we, we submit under the word, submit under the authority of Holy Scripture. And so Lord, I ask that we would be ready to receive, have hearts that are surrendered and submitted to you and to your word. And I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever tried to take a complex truth or reality, complex uh, uh, truth or understanding about something and try to explain it to someone in a, in a simple way. I think of many ways in which we can do that. I, I think about uh, algebra one or two or, or calculus. You think about math. They have this new math that's out there nowadays. I'm a little confused about the new math. I can't even help my elementary kids with math nowadays because it's just too confusing for me to help them. And so, but you look at math and you think about the complex numbers and figures and diagrams and, and, and a really good math teacher is somebody who can take those complex truths, those deep, profound truths and can bring it down to a level that is understandable. I think about that with our kids. How often in our lives with our kids do we, do we take, we want to take big, important truths and we want them to get it, don't we? We want them to understand big, important realities. So we, we try, you know, at, at, at a younger age, we're, we're making it simple to understand. And as they get older, we can, we can build upon that and build upon that. But, but the, you get what I'm trying to say here, that, that sometimes we have deep, profound truths. And, and honestly, most of the time, it needs to be spoken in ways that are easy to understand. And Jesus was the master at doing this, wasn't he? He was a master at taking profound truths, gospel realities, and making them easy to understand. And, and he often would use nature. He would use the world ar around him when he walked the earth and he taught his disciples and he taught the crowd. He would use visual examples to try to get people to understand profound truths. And this is what Jesus is doing in John 15. Now, Again, just a little context, just a little reminder. We are, we are less than 24 hours away from Jesus being betrayed, arrested, and headed to trial and then to crucifixion. So this is the upper room conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, his true disciples. Judas Iscariot has already left the upper room, and Jesus told him, what you do, do quickly. He's the betrayer, and, and Judas is gone. Now he has the true 11, the true 11 disciples. Those are truly his. And so this is the context. This is where we're at. And Jesus, Jesus is about to say, rise, let us go from here. And let, let's, let's look real quick. John, John 14, 30 through 31. It, 
Jesus said this, picking up where we left off last week, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Now there's debate among commentators about whether or not Jesus actually went outside here um, from the upper room where he was having this conversation with his disciples. Uh, I, I tend to believe that rise, let's go from here means that he, they rose and they, and they left. I think it's pretty simple. They got up and they left. And now what we don't know is that, that whether or not Jesus stopped at a vineyard and started talking to them about the true vine and abiding in the vine. This is what John 15 is all about. I, I tend to think that that's probably what happened. Jesus said, rise, let's go from here. They get out of the upper room. And where do you think they're heading right now? To the garden of Gethsemane. That's where they're headed. That's where he's going to be betrayed by Judas. That's where he's going to go and pray. That's where he's going to sweat drops of blood in agony about what is about to take place. And so I believe they're headed outside. I believe they're headed to the garden of Gethsemane. And along the way, Jesus sees a vineyard, sees a vine. And listen to what he says, John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen? God's Word. What do we get out of this? Oh, so much we could get out. But we got three things we're going to really pull out of here. I could have had five, six, seven things, eight things to pull out of here. But we got three things. You know, every good preacher has three points in a poem. So we're going to keep up with that pattern. Three points. We'll look at three powerful gospel realities from this section. Really, in essence, it's going to be this. Who, who Jesus is. We're going to see who he is. We're going to, secondly, we're going to see how he works in our lives. And then we're going to end with understanding that we are completely dependent upon him. So who is Jesus? How does he work in our lives? And we're going to end pondering the truth that we are completely dependent upon Christ. So the first thing, number one, the first thing we see from this text is that the true vine is who we could never be. The true vine is who we could never be. Look to the text. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. The true vine is who we could never be. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, it is the seventh I am declaration of Jesus. And if you remember, as we studied through the Gospel of John, there's been six other I am declarations of Jesus where he has declared and, and said that he says, I am. I am. He's taking upon 
himself the reality of deity. He's declaring that he is God. You remember when Moses was at the burning bush? Remember Moses at the burning bush and, and God is speaking to him out of the bush and he's calling Moses to go and be a spokesman uh, to, to Pharaoh and to, to, to go and rescue God's people. L- look at Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, he is, he is saying that he is God. He is the eternal God. He's using the same language that God used in the Old Testament to describe himself. He is the true vine, a vineyard, a vine. You know, in Jewish days, in, in, in ancient Israel, and even still today, vines and vineyards are, are everywhere. You know, we, we have to go to Southern California or Northern California, wherever vines, uh, probably Northern California, where, where vines and vineyards grow. But in ancient Palestine and even today, it was, it was commonly understood. The imagery of a, of, of a vine, of a vineyard, of, of branches, of, of being a vine dresser. This symbol, this symbol was so common, it was actually used on currency during, during that time. So some, some currency that was used would have a picture, a symbol carved into the currency of, of a vine. And then, and, and then for Jews in the, in the temple, uh, it, it, towards the entrance of the holy place, above the entrance was a golden image of a vine carved into, uh, into uh, the, the door frame. And so this has been something that was seen on a regular basis within the temple. So this was common language, common understanding. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. So you have to ask yourself the question, what, what's the meaning behind Jesus saying he's the true vine? I think it's, it's pretty straightforward here. I think this is what it means, that God desired his people to be fruitful in his ways, and through, the, through their fruitfulness, they would bring glory to his name. This is, this is what it means that Jesus, he's declaring he is a true vine, but, but God's people were always described as his vine. So God's people were always described as his vine. Not only was it a, a symbol nationally in the temple and on currency, but God's people were described as a true vine, as, excuse me, as a vine. And so what Jesus is saying here to his people to these Jewish disciples, he's saying, I am the true vine. I am who you could never be. I am who you could never be. And and when you think about the pattern of the nation of Israel, I think God expected that they would be fruitful. God expected that that they would, as a nation, believe in his ways and follow after him. But what do we see as a pattern in the nation of Israel? They were his vine, but they did not consistently produce fruit. They were, they were going through, they went through a pattern of following after God and then rebelling and, and not obeying Him. And, and so Jesus is looking at these disciples who would understand the language of being a vine and that Israel was supposed to be a true vine. And He says, I am the true vine. Look at Isaiah 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking of the nation of Israel. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning His vineyard. This is speaking of Israel. My beloved had a vineyard and a very fertile on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So over and over 
again. God's people Israel were supposed to yield grapes, be plentiful in a harvest of righteousness and obedience to Yahweh, but consistently they were rebellious. And so I believe that Jesus is looking at these disciples and he's using the imagery of a vine and a vineyard and he's saying, guys, look at me. I am the true vine. I am who you could never be. I am who you could never be. I am the true vine. Where you failed as a people, I will not fail. What you could not be as a people, I am. Who you couldn't be and what you couldn't do, I am who you couldn't be and I will do what you could not do. Jesus will fully obey the Father's will. Did he not? He fully obeyed the Father's will. Jesus will fully and perfectly obey the law of God and Jesus will bring glory to the Father through His obedience. And what Israel could not be or do, Jesus is and will. And He's looking at these disciples. He's looking at a microcosm of Israel, of the nation, of, 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 of God's vine. And He's saying, He's looking at them and He says, I am, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus is a true vine who could do and be who God's people could never be or do. This is the first thing we see in this text. Jesus is declaring He is the true vine. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father. Hebrews 10 verse 7. Uh, then I said, Behold, I've come to do Your will, O God. As it is written of Me in the scroll of the book, Jesus came to do the will of God, to be the true vine who would truly obey the Father. Look at John 5 verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. You see it? What, what He will obey the Father. What He sees the Father doing is what He will do. He, will, he is the true vine. He is obedient. He is faithful. When Israel was unfaithful, God is faithful. Christ is faithful. John twelve forty nine. For I have not spoken, Jesus said, on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus is saying there in John, he's saying, he's saying, whatever I see the Father do, I will do. Whatever I hear the Father say, I will speak. Jesus was and is the true vine. He is what God's people could never be. Jesus perfectly obeyed God. He perfectly fulfilled the Father's will. And he did it for us. He did it for us. Because none of us could ever be perfect. None of us could ever be perfectly righteous. None of us could ever be who Christ could be. And He was the perfect Son. He was the perfect obedient Son. He obeyed the Father's will. He was the true vine. This is who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is. Go back to the, the I Am statements in John. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the door of the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what do we see in John 15? Jesus is the true vine. He is it. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the true vine. He's the, the perfect reflection of Almighty God. Sinless perfection fully obedient and Jesus is looking at a microcosm of Israel and he's saying where you have failed where you have fallen where you have rebelled look to me I am the true vine have you ever heard of 
the idea of, it's this condition that people might can have. It was first defined in 1978 uh, called imposter syndrome. You heard of that, that idea of the imposter syndrome? No, I see some of you shaking your head. Well, imposter, an imposter, the imposter syndrome is this, is the idea that someone feels bad for their success because they don't feel like they deserve it. For various reasons, I didn't earn it. I didn't work hard enough. If people really knew who I was, they would realize I'm an imposter. I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. Look at the outside. Look at the success. Look at what is happening in my life. But if they really knew me, if they really knew who I really am on the inside, they would say, fraud, fraud. He's not really truly who he said or she said they are imposter syndrome. And you, you can go around, walk around with guilt like I didn't work hard enough for this. Jesus is no imposter. Jesus is no imposter. And Jesus is looking at imposters. He's looking at a group of imposters. He's looking at a group of men that in a short amount of time are going to deny and desert him. And Jesus is no imposter. He perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father. And he did it for us. He, he had eyes set on the cross to take our place. He was no imposter. But we, my brothers and sisters, are often imposters, are we not? We often, we often fail. We often fall short. We often fail in measuring up. We, in truth, are all imposters. Romans 3 tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is who we are. But Jesus is the true vine who did what we could never do, who did what we never get, who did what we could never do, and he, he was who we could never be. And this is the point of the gospel. This is, I just want to camp here just for a second. This is the point of the gospel. I believe at the front end of this conversation, when Jesus is walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, he's stopping at a vineyard and he's he's wanting to remind them. And, and listen, he knows they're about to abandon, he knows they're about to desert him, he knows who they really are, and he looks at them and he says, You need to look to me. I'm not an imposter, I am the true vine. I am not going to fail. I am going to be your source of righteousness. I am going to be your strength. Jesus is the true vine. So I don't know what form of religion or, or Christianity you've adopted into your life. If, if you've adopted an idea that, 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 that God is waiting for you to be perfect and to be perfectly righteous and good, to, to welcome you and to receive you, you believe the wrong version of, of Christianity. None of us. We're all imposters. We all come to the cross the same way. Empty, guilty, without any hope. And we surrender all that we are to the cross of Christ, to the true vine, who did what we could not do. Who died for us and took our place as imposters, as sinners. This is who Jesus is. He says, I am the true vine. In, in essence, he's looking at his disciples. He's saying, I've got it. I've got this. Look to me. So question to ask yourself. Here's a couple of questions to think about. Have you fallen on Christ yet? Have you fallen on him? When, when, when I think of that imagery of falling on Christ, here's what I think of. I think of, of complete and utter dependence for everything on Christ. Have you, have you fallen on him in a sense of dependence? Like, 
I'm not trying to earn his approval. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to be good enough to earn his love. I understand that I fall short. I understand that I fail. I understand that I'm weak. And I'm falling on Christ in his strength. I'm falling on Christ in his perfect righteousness. I'm falling on Christ in faith. And, and, and I'm depending on him. I'm depending on the true vine. Depending on the true vine, you know, honestly, what, uh, some forms of Christianity are forms that say that, that I'm depending on my, myself to produce what needs to be produced. It's impossible. It's impossible. We must fall on Christ. Have you fallen on Him yet? Have you fallen in His grace? Are you resting in the perfect obedience of Jesus on your behalf? Are you resting in the perfect obedience of Jesus on your behalf? It's the news that is too good to be true. It's the news that is too good to be true that Jesus was perfectly obedient for us. And all we have to do is by faith fall on Him. Amen? It's good news. You, you, guys, you guys tracking with me? I don't know if it's the brain fog that's got me mixed up or, I mean, like, man, this is like some shouting stuff right here. Um, let me drink some water here real quick <clears throat> from my throat. It's hot in here, Scott. Is the AC down? Or is that just me? I don't know. <laughs> it's a little warm. Are y'all warm? <clears throat> it's not just me. Let's go check out the let's go check out the thermostat. Is, is it broken? <laughs> I'm sweating. I don't normally sweat when I preach. Seriously, seriously, let's go check, let's go check the thermostat. <laughs> You got one over here, one over there. Manny's going to check the one there. Yeah, I could, huh? I could. Jesus is giving a visual reality to these Jewish disciples who would all understand vineyard and vine, right? And he's looking at them and he's saying, look to me, I am the true vine. So who is Jesus? He's the true vine who, who is who we could never be. That's the point of the gospel. He is who we could never be. And secondly, what do we, what do we learn? This is who Jesus is. Now we're going to learn what he does in our life. Secondly, the true vine is who we could never be, but he will grow us into who he is. He is who we could never be, but he will grow us into who he is. Look back to the text. Verse 2, John 15, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So now Jesus introduces some powerful gospel truths here. What, what does he say? It's real simple. Jesus is saying he's the vine. Believers are like branches that are connected to the vine. So the, you remember earlier in my introduction, I talked about profound truths explained really simply. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Branches are connected to the vine. The nutrients come from the vine and it is produced. And, we, and good works and good fruit are produced in the life of the believer. This is the point uh, that Jesus is making here. The vine has all the nutrients flowing through it. The branches, as long as they are connected to the nutrients of the vine, will produce fruit. So, Two primary realities in this one verse. So as we unpack it, here's the first one. The branches with no fruit are taken away. The branches that are in the vine with no fruit are taken away. The branches with fruit 
will be pruned to produce even more. Those are the two things in this second verse. Two things, the branches with no fruit are taken away, the branches with fruit will be, will produce, be pruned to produce even more. So what's the point of this? The point is this, real simple. There are no fruitless Christians. It's not possible. If we are branches that are connected to the nutrients of the vine, which is Christ, if we are in Christ, it is impossible for somebody that is in Christ to have no fruit. And what does that mean by no fruit? It means it's impossible to say that you're a believer and that there's no evidence that you have placed your faith in Jesus. There will be evidence. Just as if a true branch is connected, a real branch is connected to a real vine, the nutrients will produce fruit. There will be fruit coming from the nutrients of the vine. There are no fruitless Christians. There are no disciples who do not bear the fruit of being a disciple. And, and, and here's a point. I think this is the, the, really the point that I think these disciples would have understood, that maybe they understood, that Judas Iscariot, the one who just left, He represented an example of a false disciple. He was connected to Jesus, was he not? He was as close to Jesus as anyone else in that group. Peter, James, and John, they were the the three that got a little closer, right? But Judas was with them as a group. He traveled with Jesus for three and a half years. He was a part of the meetings and the discussions and the messages. and, And he got to be close with Jesus, eat with Jesus. He was connected to Jesus. He was in church. He was listening to the music. He was listening to sermons. He was possibly raising his hands. He may even have given. Well, no, he didn't give. He only stole. But (laughs) you get the point, right? He could have been around Christians. He was in the mix. Are you tracking with me? But Judas was what? He was the branch in verse 6 that is, has no fruit, is taken away, and is burned. He's a false disciple. The point is, is that you will either have fruit of being a Christian or you will have fruit of being a non-believer. There's really only two people in the world, those who are followers of Christ and those who are not. You know, uh, Matthew 13, I think, is a great example that kind of shows this picture of those who are genuine, those who, who are not. Just to paraphrase, uh, Matthew 13 talks about a sower who goes out to sow seed, and the seed is the word of God that goes out. Listen to this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one snatches away what is sown. This is what's sown along the path. As for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. That's Judas, right? As for it was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, this is Judas, choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the branch connected to the vine. This is the one who hears the word and understands that he indeed bears fruit. He indeed bears fruit, and it yields in one case 160 and another 30. You get the point? There are no fruitless Christians. If you are connected to Christ, people will notice. If you're in the vine, people will know. Will know it. So there's... People who like to have the idea or they'll communicate the idea of being a cultural Christian or a casual Christian. Those are terms that aren't even real. What does it mean to be a casual Christian? I'm casually following Jesus? A casual Christian. Or I've even heard this term, uh, a carnal Christian. 
I'm a carnal Christian. Casual, carnal, casual Christian. Jesus said, if you would come after me, if you would come after me, if you would be a disciple, if you'd be a follower, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, then come and follow me. There is no such thing as a casual Christian or a, a carnal Christian or a cultural Christian. A casual, carnal, cultural Christian is a non-Christian who believes that they're a Christian. So, so that is true. That in, in, in every church, in every place, there are Christians and non-Christians that are, that are together in a room, in a family, in a, on a job site, at a church. The tares and the wheat will grow together. And this is the point Jesus is making. He's looking at these disciples, and I think, I think it's so really profound here. They just saw the reality of Judas denying them and, or, or, or rejecting Christ and denying Christ, and, and, and he's about to betray Christ. Judas left, and I think they, they, they're, they're getting it, that there's no fruit at all, they're taken away. Someone is either a Christian or they're not. The primary evidence of being a Christian is the fruit that comes from the inward trans- transformation of the gospel. Now, did you, did you hear what was said, Jesus said in Matthew 13? He said, he said some, the, the, the good soil, the, those branches that are connected to the nutrients of Christ, they're all going to bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. What does that mean? It means that what, what I am now is not what I will be later. When I first come to faith in Christ, everyone should know about it, right? And then eventually we're going to start seeing fruit growing, fruit growing, fruit starting to pop up, pop up, pop up. And it's a slow progression. It's called sanctification, right? This is the point. We, we, well, I, I am not what I will be. I'm not what I desire to be, but I'm not what I used to be. This is, this is what Christ does in the life of a believer. Transformation of the gospel. Now, here's the second thing Jesus talks about here. Now, notice what our Lord says about those who are truly his. Who are, those who aren't his, he takes them away. And verse 6 says he, he, he burns them. This speaks of eternal judgment. It's a very sobering reality there. But listen to what he says about those who are truly his. Every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the vine dresser, the caretaker, vine dresser, the caretaker is another word for vine dresser. The caretaker, the vine dresser is the father. The father God will cut back and prune what is not good so that what is good may produce more. This is what a vine dresser does with the grapevine. The sharp shears are used to cut off dead sections of the branch that will threaten future growth. And, and so the picture for us is really straightforward. Our heavenly father will prune or cut away from our lives the things that will hinder greater fruitfulness. It's really simple. If we are bearing fruit, if we are in Christ and we are genuine believers, our Father God, our loving Father, will cut away the things in our life that are going to hinder future growth. This is the Christian life, a cutting and a pruning and a trimming and a pulling back and a growing and a Discipline here and discipline there and challenge here and challenge there because through challenge, through discipline, we grow. Through cutting back, we grow. Jesus is the true vine who could be who we could never be and the vine dresser prunes so that we could grow into who Jesus is. Do you get it? He's who we could never be, but the Father prunes us so that we can grow into who He is. So, what kind of fruitfulness does the Lord want to see in us? If the Father's cutting on us, 
so we can bear more fruit, what kind of fruit does he want to see? What do you think? I think it's cooler in here. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> Thank you, Manny and Pastor Scott. Pastor Manny and Scott. Uh, what kind of fruit? Y'all are knocking on the door right there. Galatians 5, listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit, all believers have the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Man, look at that fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit. It's this picture of this is who a Christian is and this is what a Christian is going to look like, right? This is a picture of their life. How many of you need a little bit more love? And notice how they build on each other. If you are loving, you'll be joyful. If you're joyful, you're going to have peace. If you have peace with God and peace with others, you're going to be patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and you'll have self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Think about the relationships in your life. If we walked in the fruit of the Spirit in our marriage, how wonderful would our marriage be? This is the fruit the Lord wants to develop in our life. This is He cuts away areas in our life so that these fruits will grow. What about relationships with our kids if we had gentleness and patience with our children, right? How much better would it be? Our coworkers, those that work under us, those that that we work for, it just you see this is the fruit that the Lord wants us to grow in. And he, the, Lord, the Father prunes us. He, 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 he shines a light on areas where we are not showing that fruit. So none of us, none of us, listen, none of us are where we used to be in these areas. If I talked to you, you, you would tell me that I used to be a lot less patient. Or maybe you're saying, I really need some work on that area. Well, the Father's cutting on you right now. He's pruning back on you right now. He's bringing it to your attention. He wants you to grow. But I think if we all talked, we'd say, I, I used to be this. I used to be that in these areas. But, but by the work of the Spirit and the pruning work of the Lord, we will become more fruitful over time. Amen? Jesus is who we could never be, who we could not be. But he will grow us into who he is. Pruning hurts. Pruning hurts. The Word of God, the book of Hebrews says, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that are the pruning shears that, that cut away the things in our life that hinder growth. It's the Word of God. It's the, the pruning shears, the sharp Word of God that the Lord uses to cut away and to discipline us. Pruning hurts. It's not meant to be pleasant. It's like discipline. Discipline hurts, does it not? When I think about discipline, I think about a couple of areas. I think about a trained athlete. A trained athlete, an elite athlete. What does that elite athlete have to do to, to, to perform at, at a high level? He's got to discipline himself or herself. They have to, they have to be disciplined. And, and sometimes that discipline means that it's painful. It hurts their body. They have to get up earlier than most people. They have to stretch their muscles and work their muscles. And, and it's painful, but it produces something, doesn't it? Pruning, discipline, cutting away. I, I think about with parents, with parents and children. Discipline hurts. But here, here, here's, 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 what I, here's what I want us to think about just for a moment. The Lord knows that the way in which we're going to grow to become more like Him, more like Christ, is, is, that, is that we would be connected to the vine and we would get all the nutrients we need for spiritual life from Christ. And I think some of the th ways in which He wants us 
to grow and to help us grow is to cut away the false vines that are, that are deceiving us and thinking that they're going to give us the nutrients we need to grow. There are a lot of false vines out there that look good, that are attractive things to run to, even as Christians, things to run to as a source of, of pleasure and strength, and, and, and we're running to false vines, and the Lord will come in and he'll cut away those things, and he'll prune those things. Maybe some of those are relationships that you're in, friendships that you have. Maybe it's, it's the pursuit of pleasure. Maybe it's the pursuit of money. Whatever it is, the Lord knows what is false, that is a false source of nutrients and will not help you to grow, but will actually hinder you from growing, and the Lord will cut away. It, it reminds me, a picture of this, it reminds me of my Eliana Grace. She's not here. She's watching the two, three-year-olds. And Eliana, when she was four or five years old, I believe, uh, around that age, um, she was eating a dessert, and it had some sugar in it, like every good dessert needs to have. And she's eating this dessert, and, and we took it away, and, and she, as a little toddler, yells out really loud, I want more sugar! <laughs> Just like that, I was at the table. And the other person who was at the table was my son, Joel, who's about a year older 18 months older than Eliana and Joel. Joel looked and went, said this, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. We'll never forget that story. I thought about that. We want sugar, don't we? Right? There's some things in the world that are very sweet. That, that, that look, look, man, that's what I, I would really want that. But the Lord knows that things that, that some things that are sweet, really the end of it, there's consequences. There's poison in the end of that sh- bite of sugar. The things the world looks, uh, says is attractive and good, and, and the Father will cut. He'll cut. He'll say, no, that's not good for you. That's not good for you. Discipline is painful. Pruning is painful. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, listen, for the moment all discipline, all pruning seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So sometimes pruning is like correction. Sometimes pruning is not correction. Sometimes it's simply that the Lord knows what we need for future growth and he, he allows trials and situations and challenges to come into our life because he, he's more concerned about our holiness than he is about our happiness. So, the pruning work of the Lord, listen, will happen in the life of every believer. More fruit. Listen, this is a little warning here. When you get some fruitfulness in your life, you're, you're fruitful. Do you feel fruitful right now? Beware. It just means more pruning is on the way. Why? The Lord wants us to be more fruitful. Fruitfulness just means there's more pruning coming. It's the life of the Christian. J.C. Ryle, I think, as we, as, we, uh, as, we, as we conclude these kind of first two thoughts here, he, in his commentary in these two verses, I think he summarizes for us in a helpful way what we've seen so far. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. The first principle, listen, just follow this. The first principle is that no one can be a branch in Christ and a living member of his body who does not bear fruit. Vital union with Christ that is not evidenced by life is an impossibility and a blasphemous idea. That's what we saw, right? Secondly, 
The pruning work of the Lord shines light on many of the afflictions and trials of God's people. They are all part of the mysterious process by which God the Father purifies and sanctifies his people. Amen? So two questions before we conclude with our our last thought here. Two questions to ponder. Does my life, this is, I want you to think about this. Ask yourself this question. Does my life evidence the fruit of being a disciple of Jesus? Or said another way, does my life betray the reality that I'm a follower of Christ? Or said yet another way, do the people in my life who are not believers know that I'm a believer? Do they know? They should know. There should be evidence. Something to think about for you to ponder. Does my life evidence the fruit of being a disciple of Jesus? Here's another question to to think about. If you're a believer here today, what might the Lord be doing in your life, in my life, to cut away what is hindering greater fruitfulness for his glory? What might God be doing? And some of you right now, you're, you're like, I know, I, I, I know he's cutting. I can feel it. He's pruning and he's cutting. We'll, we'll lean into it. Lean into it. Say, say Father, I, I don't want to fight your discipline. I don't want to fight your pruning. I want to lean in. What are you wanting to teach me? Help me to grow. Help me. I, Jesus is, is, is who I could never be, but, but I know you're growing me into becoming more like him. So, Lord, I want to know. Cut away cut away. Here's my life. Here's my life. Okay, guys, Jesus says, it's time to go rise. We have somewhere to be. And Jesus looks at him, and I believe he's looking at a vine right here. He's looking at a vine, and he holds, he puts his hand on the vine. This is my imagination. He says, ah, you see that? You see this vine right here? I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. I am who you could never be, and I'm doing what you could never do. And listen, listen, real quick. Listen, this is so powerful to think about. He's looking at them and telling them, I am the true vine. In, in, in hours from now, the pressure and the pruning was coming for the 11. And they had no idea. Peter, hours from now, was going to look at a girl, a slave girl, by a fire and deny Christ with a curse. The pressure was coming. The pruning was coming. And I can't wait to get to John 21 next year to see the restoration of Peter. I love, I love that section in John 21. Peter gets restored, but the pressure and the pruning is coming for these disciples. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am who you could not be, but I will grow you into who I am. Amen? Lastly, final declaration Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Look back to the text. John 15, 4 through 5. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus introduces abiding. Abiding. He says, the branches who abide in him will produce much fruit. A branch cannot bear fruit on its own. The Christian life does not consist, listen, of stapling fruit on your life. i got to staple goodness and love and joy and long-suffering and patience. I gotta, no, it, it, the, Christian life, it, 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 the Christian life is abiding in Christ. That is the Christian life. 
To be a Christian means you abide in Him. It is an objective reality. To be a Christian means that you are in Christ and He is in you. It's this mystical union of somehow, somehow, think about that for a moment. I am in Christ and He is in me. Christ is in me. Scripture says Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, this this union, abiding. Abiding means union with Christ. We're in Him. He's in us. Sinclair Ferguson says this about abiding. He says it means to live with the sense that the Son of God loves us and gave Himself for us, that He dwells within us by the Holy Spirit, and that we know that our life is no longer ours but His, and that all the resources embodied in Christ are ours now, and we must draw on them. We must draw on them. This is abiding. This is abiding. So, real quickly, there are two truths about abiding in Christ. Here's the first one. Abiding in Christ is a spiritual reality that begins at salvation. You, if you're a believer, you are abiding in Christ the moment of your salvation. You become in Christ, and He is in you. That's the objective reality, what it means to be in Christ. The second truth about abiding in Christ is that abiding in Christ is a continual pursuit of those who are believers. So when we become a believer, we abide in Him. We are in Him. We're clothed in His righteousness. But then abiding in Him is a pursuit of all those who are believers. We seek to abide. Look, look, look at verse 10 of our text. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's this pursuit language. I am in Him, and I'm not trying to obey His commandments so that I can be in Him. I am in Him, but to abide means that I am pursuing to, 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 to abide in Him, to abide in His love, to abide in His goodness, to abide in His ways. Abiding in Christ is both an objective reality and a Christian responsibility. An objective reality and a Christian responsibility. So, how do we pursue the abiding life? How do we pursue the abiding life? You can jot these down. Here's, here's how you pursue the abiding life. To live out the reality of who you are in Christ. How do you pursue this? Bible intake. Are you in the Word of God? Are you studying the Word of God? Are you reading the Bible? Bible intake. Prayer. Bible intake, prayer. Are you spending time in prayer? Worship with God's people. Worshiping in your quiet time, but worshiping with God's people. This is pursuing the abiding life. Consuming godly content. You know there's a lot of content out there that you can, you can consume that doesn't encourage abiding in Christ. There's a lot of things out there that you can listen to, you can watch, that is not conducive to abiding in Christ. Consume godly content. And here's, here's, here's one more. There's so many more I could list, but Enter into discipleship relationships. This helps in your abiding life in Christ. That you are being discipled by others and you are discipling others. That, that, that is the pursuit of abiding in Christ. Okay, so in Christ is who we are. And abiding in Him is how we live. Now look back real quickly. We're closing right here. In Christ is who we are. And abiding in Him is how we live. Look back to the second half of verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we believe that? That apart from Christ, we can do nothing? Apart from Christ, we cannot be fruitful for his glory. Apart from Christ, we cannot abide in him. 
Apart from Christ, we cannot pursue righteousness. Apart from Christ, there's no good in us. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Do we believe that we are truly dependent on Him? Do we believe we're truly dependent on Him? Do we really believe that apart from Him, we can do nothing? Look at Philippians 2 in the Christian Standard Version. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is this idea of of pursuing the abiding life. Work out, live out your own salvation. Live out the life of the Christian life through pursuing abiding in Christ, through the Word of God, through prayer, through worship, right? Verse 13 is the key. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out His good pleasure. Do you get it? Do you get it? Every time you open your Bible to read it, it's because the Lord has given you the desire to do that. Every time you come to church here on Sunday morning to worship with God's people, it's because the Lord is working in you to give you the desire to do that. Every time you do a good deed for somebody else or you're generous with your finances, every time, it's, it's not because of you. It's because of Him. Apart from Him and His work, we can do nothing good on our own. Apart from Him, we are dependent. He enables us. He gives us the desire and the power to live in ways that please Him, completely dependent on Him. You know, I thought about, I thought about those in our society who are completely dependent on others. You know, the first one I think of is a baby. How many of you have children, grandchildren? I'll never forget whenever my babies were born, and I remember leaving the hospital with those babies. I remember Joel as my firstborn. I remember we, we, we had him, and I just looked at him and just thought, I cannot believe that God is entrusting me with this life. And, and I, I, do you remember, at least at Terrible in general, they, give you, they, they, they make sure you go, they take you down into the car, make sure you put your baby in the, the car seat. They're not going to let you go until they know you have a car seat. And I remember strapping Joel in that car seat. I remember, I remember driving in a way that I never drove before or since. Right? I got this progressive snapshot thing just recently. The government's watching me now. I'm trying to get lower, lower insurance. Right? I, I'm driving so careful now. I drove even more careful when I put Joel in that car seat. It, it, it was like, oh my goodness, this is life. It's not just my life. It's not the wife. It's not just my my wife's life. It's I have another human being that is completely one hundred percent dependent upon me and my wife, and especially her for survival, for food, for nourishment, right? For clothes. For shelter, 100% dependent. And my brothers and my sisters, the same is true for us in our Christian life. We are 100% dependent on Christ. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. He is our goodness. He is our joy. He is our faithfulness. He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. He is our patience. All those good things that we could ever pursue are only evidence in our life because of Him. We are truly dependent. I want you to think about this. In our westernized, Americanized world, being dependent is seen as weak. 
that you don't need to be dependent on, on anyone. No, don't be dependent on, on, on anyone. It's weak. Dependency is weak. Needing help is seen as not mature. If you need help, you're, you're weak. You're not mature. Being self-made is praised. You've heard the term self-made person, man, self-made millionaire. And the truth is, is nobody's self-made. You, you ever made yourself? How do you make yourself? can't make yourself. I mean, from, the, from the, your, your DNA and, 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 and your life that, that God gives you, like, like no one can make themselves. They're trying right now to try to make babies outside of the way God designed it, right? But ultimately, no one gets to make themselves. Nobody's self-made. Everyone is fully dependent. And the quicker we can realize that, not only in our general reality, uh, picture of life, but in our Christian life, the quicker we can realize that, that none of us are self-made, the quicker we can live out. Verse 11, look at John 15, verse 11. Jesus says this. He, what, what did he say? He said, I'm the true vine. I'm who you could never be. I'm going to cut on you. You're going to produce more fruit. And, 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 and you're going to grow, and I'm going to make you more like me. What does he say? Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Anybody need some joy today? Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Of joyful. Joyfulness. Where does it come from? Joy comes from being like a newborn baby. That's where it comes from. It comes from being like a newborn baby. It comes from being completely dependent and fully trusting at rest in who Christ is, at rest in his work to conform us into his image. So today, if you leave today, here's the call. Become like a newborn baby. Become like a child. Say, God, I'm fully dependent upon you. Maybe some of you are like, I've made a royal mess of some situations. Fall on Christ. Say, Lord, do your work. Do your surgery. Prune. Cut away. I want to be fully dependent upon you. Amen. The true vine and the abiding life, they cannot be separated. The true vine and the abiding life cannot be separated. Amen.